You're listening to Unfiltered with Muhammad Uncut, a podcast about personal growth and authentic leadership. If you're looking for tips on how to manage others, get ahead, and make your way up the corporate ladder, this is not the show for you. This podcast is about being of service to others, leading from the heart, and evolving into a better version of yourself. Each episode brings you motivated stories about unfiltered leadership and authentic leaders, those who involve others, use their influence to amplify diverse perspectives, and inspire teams to achieve collective results. If this sounds like you, keep listening. Hello and welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast. Unfiltered is the podcast for leaders who involve others, use their influence to help them rise and inspire them to become better versions of themselves. The Unfiltered Podcast showcases leaders who lead from the heart to make a positive change. And no surprise, you all know I'm going to say this, we have an unfiltered leader with us today, Melissa Maloney. Thank you for being my guest. Thanks for having me. Melissa is the founder of Happy Leader Enterprises, the co-founder of All Women LEAD Lead, and the VP of Sales and Operations for a thriving new startup called GoFogit. And I know I want to go there because I was really proud when I saw you do this. Melissa has developed a passion for helping others find happiness, and she has the experience to do it well. As a child of adversity, Melissa uses her personal story to impact others. She focuses on productivity and leading with emotional intelligence and with an attitude of everybody wins. She's passionate about building and supporting organizations to have a people-first culture and is committed to empowering leaders to achieve more fulfillment and happiness in life. A sought-after speaker and best-selling author, Melissa was named one of the top 20 under 40 in 2018 by London Inc. magazine and as a top 50 visionary for 2019 by Radical Business magazine. Melissa, you are an unfiltered leader. Welcome to the podcast once again. Thank you. Talk to me about what leadership signifies to you. Um, I always say le that um, leadership is anybody who has influence over somebody else. So I really like people to step away from feeling like leadership is somebody who's a boss or leadership is is a title. Um, to me, it's that influence. It's the ability, whether you're influencing children or if you're a coach or even as a friend, like you have the ability to influence people and using that influence to make a difference to me is that true definition of leadership. And so to you, leadership isn't about having the role or something somebody bequeaths to us. If we're practicing being a leader with our community or with our friends or with our children, anyone can have that leadership mindset. 100%. Yeah. And I really like, to me, it's an authenticity. It's that it's being real. It's, it's, it's unfiltered. It really is that ability to just to lead honestly. Well, tell me, why are you a leader? Um, <laughs> I think I, there's a lot, a lot of places to go with that. I know. I think I look at myself as a leader. Um, because I really do feel in my bio when it talks about being a child of adversity, I look at my childhood as um, the gift that was given to me in order to use it to make a difference for others. Um, and it's, it's always been something I've seen as an opportunity. I've never looked at my childhood as something that was there to hold me back. And I think I've just used that in different ways throughout my career and with my children and with 
my friends and just in every aspect of my life. And, and that all does come down to happiness for me and the fact that happiness is a choice and how can we help people find happiness in life. And so you've taken adversity, which you experienced at a very young age, and rather than allowed it to create a, a position of victimization throughout your life, you've kind of taken adversity by the horns. You've looked at it in the eye and you said, I'm going to own you. You ain't going to own me. And, and yeah. you've moved forward with that. You, when, when you speak about it, you know, to say that I've been a child of adversity. So to go from a position of really scarcity and, and, and weakness, I would say, a child is not someone who's very empowered or very enabled. And to go through adversity, but still to rise and to get the courage and to use your vulnerability to move forward and to become courageous enough to use your story to impact and influence others. Without a doubt, I, I know you're a leader, but I can tell that you're a leader with heart. And this is what this podcast is all about. It's, it's that unfiltered leader who, no masks, no BS, what you see is what you get, but you get authenticity. Why is that yeah. important to you, Melissa? Um, when It's interesting because if we, if you were to have met me 15 years ago, um, I still had the same intention. My intention has always been to make other people's lives better and to make a difference in people's lives. Um, when I talk about my story, I moved out of my home when I was 14 years old and the intention upon moving out, I, and I don't know where the strengths came from. I don't have any explanation for it. I always moved out and said, I refuse to be a victim of, I, w I wasn't going to be a victim of my circumstances. Fast forward to my early 30s, and it was in my early 30s when I recognized I actually had to be a victim in order to make the biggest impact and move forward. I, I had worked so hard at not being a victim that I actually had hid my story, and people didn't know my story, and people, and I didn't use it to have the power that it could possibly have. So it was once I actually realized the impact of being able to talk about it and being able to acknowledge the challenges that came with it and the continued challenges that come with it. And that that's when I became authentic. And that's when I actually started to be able to make a bigger difference. You know, Melissa, as you speak and you talk about adversity and you talk about difficulty and, and your story and, and victimization, something was happened to, happening to me here. And I know it wasn't indigestion. <laughs> I was really feeling something in my heart and it was, part excitement, part empathy, part I know where she's coming from, I know where she's going, I know where she's been, and I know what she's doing. And, you know, I can say that I, I've lived through similar experiences. But to your point, and this, I, I can relate to this because I have experienced it, but to your point, if we don't accept our vulnerability, what we've gone through, if we can't look that situation in the face where you felt like a victim you were hurt you were broken whatever steps happened to lead you to leave your home and to brave the world at 14 but if you can I, I, this is kind of a question comment because what i heard is you had to reclaim that victimization in order to tell the story i think in part i feel was it to to get a sense of peace with with that past but also to use it as a stepping stone to be able to talk about it and that's how you want to help others? A little bit of both actually. A big piece, it was a huge healing piece for me. Um, I was diagnosed in my early 30s as P with PTSD, um, which was 
uh, it was like a weight lifted off of me when I recognized that being a victim was okay. Um, I had worked so hard at being perfect and had pushed my career to as like, I put everything into my work and did the hundred hour weeks and did all these things to, to prove that I was successful and that people should love me and that I didn't need my parents and all of those things. Um, but to actually step into the fact that, you know what, I was a child when these things happened to me, um, that abuse is never okay. And that I shouldn't have had to live the life that I lived and, and owning that it then let me realize that I could tell people it and not be embarrassed by it. Cause I, I was embarrassed by my story. I didn't, I, I didn't tell people about it. And what happened because I put so much effort into my work is people didn't see what I did as achievable. They, they saw this person who worked these crazy hours and who never ran out of energy and who did all these things. And they were like, I don't want to be that. <laughs> and, and that wasn't what I was trying to create. I was truly trying to help people be happy and be fulfilled and to find those things. And when I was able to step back and recognize um, career success doesn't define that and financial success doesn't define that, that's when I could actually make a bigger impact in people's lives. Melissa, you say that at 30, you were diagnosed with PTSD. And if we can't name it, we can't treat it. You know, if you go to the doctor, and I think Brene Brown talks about this in her book, um, dare to lead. She talks about going to the doctor and having, you know, gauze over your mouth and your hands are all tied and you're trying to tell the doctor you've got, you know, a pain in your neck. So you're going, right? And, and you can't quite, you can't tell the person what it is. So you can't diagnose, right? And so the freedom of being able to speak and being able to point to your, to your, to your pain, the freedom of being able to look your situation and your adversity in the face to be able to name it, to say, hey, I'm 30, I am diagnosed with PTSD, I now know what I have. I can own it. I can move forward with that. That is liberating, isn't it? Hugely, hugely. Yeah. And I can't imagine, um, fast forward to more recent history, and, and um, one, of my, one of my children was diagnosed with some mental health challenges. And um, in, tho in those moments was when I felt the, um, felt the, the symptoms of my PTSD more than I ever had. And um, because I didn't have control over, over their health and their wellness and that lack of control really triggered me. And if I didn't have that diagnosis, I don't know what I would have done because I, I was so, because I hadn't experienced it to that level before. And it was, and again, that diagnosis and that understanding of this is what's happening to me right now. And it's okay to not have control gave me more control than anything else that I, I would have had. So it, it really was a, it, it was a turning point in my life. I can't, it was not something, um, and it's not something I ever thought that I would use, but I've spoken about it more and more. And as I, when I speak about my children's mental health as well, I, I use it because I, these are the conversations we need to have because oh, really strong people <laughs> have these challenges and um, they're just, it's like, just ha like having a headache. You, you need to, you need to fix it. If you have a headache, there's something right. leading to it. And so I, it's the conversation we need to have and we definitely need to have in business. And, and we need to have it more because the stigma attached to it and the, the pain and the, price of not having these conversation and you you got it right on you know we think it's okay to have them in families it's we're starting to feel more comfortable in in our 
familiar spaces to talk about with our friends, with our partners. But at work, we have to put up this persona, this, you know, we have to put this mask on that we're a different person at work. And when we can't bring, show up wholesome in, in a wholesome way, when we have to put on a mask of being somebody different because we cannot be who we are for whatever adversity or, or pain or, or issue that we're experiencing, we can't be the person that we need to be for our work, right? We, we can't get work done. We can't be productive. It's like, if I don't have the tools, I can't get the work done. If I don't have the physical capabilities, I can't get the work done. Why can't we accept that if people are dealing with mental health issues, illness, uh, uh, in, internalized trauma, and you know, for the benefit of our, of our listeners, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, it's something that you develop after a traumatic issue or situation in your life, which you experienced at 14, but wasn't diagnosed with that until 30, right? So for all those years, you were struggling, I guess, with this pain. And again, I think about the liberating feeling you must have had when you lifted off, you know, as Brene would call it, the armor, and you were yeah. able to say, I'm here. That, that takes a lot of courage, by the way. I don't think you did it overnight. No, it, it felt like it. It felt like it, though. That's what's interesting is it was like I can literally remember the therapy session and it, I can remember the moment. And it as soon as I could actually say the words, I was I am a victim. It was like it, it was crazy. Um, just how freeing the ability to actually take ownership of that was. So we will go back, you know, we called you a leader and no doubt how you come across and things that you've gone with, gone through in your life, you are definitely an unfaltered leader and someone who's authentic, somebody who cares about being of service to others. That's, you know, it's out there. Yet this leader is acknowledging her weakness and saying, I'm a victim. So people look to leaders to be strong and to be the backbone of an organization or a household or in the community. Do they look to a leader to express what might be construed as weakness? I think so. I, I'm a big believer in like resiliency and, and failure. And like, I, I teach people to fail. I I've led sales teams for my entire career pretty much. And you fail a lot in sales. That's, that's reality. And I noticed a shift with the younger generation coming in that they didn't know how to fail anymore. Mm -hmm. And I used to literally sit down with them in their first training session and say, okay, <laughs> we're going to learn to fail today. And we actually, and, and they looked at me like I was crazy because they, they were, they, they don't fail. They're not used to failing. And so I, I, I would teach them and I would ask them, I'd say, okay, so when you get rejected, what are you going to do? Right. And, and they would look at me and they'd say, I, I don't know. And I'd say, well, we have to come up with something. What are you going to tell yourself? What are you going to say to yourself when you fail? And they're like, I don't know. I said, well, we need to, right. and I would practice with them. Let's come up with what you're going to tell yourself. Because if we don't come up with what that thing is going to be, what you're going to tell yourself is you're a failure. Right. And you're not sales is rejection. It happens. You are going to have to get rejected nine out of 10 times. So how do you talk yourself through that? And it would be really liberating for them when they'd come back and they'd be like, I failed. And they would cheer and it would be a good thing. And we would celebrate it. And we would, I would teach them to use their body to re-energize themselves when things would start to get them down. And these are skills that we don't learn anymore. 
And again, right. I go back to my, my childhood and I go back to, I failed a lot. Like I, I had to, I like, I lived at, when I was at home still, before I moved out, I'd be home for a week, two weeks on end by myself. Well, when you're 12 and home by yourself for weeks on end, you make a lot of mistakes. You burn things, you, <laughs> you, you almost set the house on fire. You, you forget your key and have to climb through a window. Like you figure stuff out <laughs> and and kids these days don't have as much opportunity to figure some of these things out. So when they come to the workplace, I talk a lot about, about millennials or the younger generation, because when they come to the workplace, we get frustrated with them. It's not their fault. We've protected them. And that's not a bad thing either. Yeah. yeah. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not, I have no judgment over how we've raised these kids, but we have to understand when they come to the workplace, they don't know how to fail anymore. So we have to teach them right. and teach them that it's okay and then be there for them when they do. And Melissa, you know, and I know this is exactly what you mean. I, I'm, I want to clarify it. You're not necessarily teaching people to fail for the sake of failure. You're trying to say, look, if you don't learn the skills, and I love the way you put it, it's a skill. If you don't learn the skill of how to behave when you fail, you'll end up reacting and your reaction might cost you a lot. But if you learn to say, how can I react if this happens? If I fall off the bike, what will I do next, right? If my chain comes off, what will I do next? If I don't score that big client, what will happen? So I'm being proactive about the options that I may have that may not work in my favor. Because if I do consider it being a failure, rather than saying it's over, it's going to be another opportunity to get up. Yeah. And, and recognize, we used to have scoreboards where we would actually, you had to fail a certain number of times every day or else it wasn't a good day. Like, it's like, let's count them out. And, and just that little tweak in perception around it can really change people's attitudes towards it, right? right? And, and I think that that's, and sort of seeing it as the step to the yes, as opposed to it's a hard no and I'm done now. And I right. think that's something obviously that works in business when it comes to sales and that resiliency to keep going, but so many aspects of life that that can apply to and helping them to build those skills outside of the workplace as well, because it's all mindset thinking. It's all- Well, I, I, I don't training. have it right with my kids or my wife every day and I make a lot of mistakes. I haven't gotten the pink slip yet, maybe soon. <laughs> They're not around. So, you know, uh, in some situations, our, our, you know, our, our clients or our partners or our family or friends can be forgiving, but in some situations, it's not. So it's building that skill set, building that mindset and our heart set so that we're prepared, right? And we're not broken. And we don't have to go to the place where we're always dealing with adversity and feeling victimized and that our circumstances have defined what we are or who we are and where we are but that we have options. And I love the way that you, again, you say it, it's a skill because that's how you build resilience is one step at a time, it becomes a, a stronger skill set. And I think to, to a point, you talk often about optimism. How much does optimism have to do with building the skill set of resilience? I think I definitely, I'm an optimistic person. Like that is, I am 100% a glass half full person. Um, but I think optimism has to be balanced with realism at the same time. And I think sometimes, and that's where that authenticity comes in for me. Um, if I, again, if I think back to my younger leadership days, I often refer to myself as a cheerleader because I've always been optimistic. And I definitely was that like, we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. But 
um, the analogy I use is that if we're running a 400 meter race and we're running as fast as we can, somebody standing on the sidelines screaming, run faster, you've got this, isn't actually going to help somebody run faster. And to me, that sort of that, that optimistic side without realism is just yelling from the sidelines. And right. if we can bring in the realism to it, where it's like, you know what, here's where we need to get to. Can we do it? Is it possible? Is there always a glimmer of hope? A hundred percent. But is it, is it just going to happen? No. Like, what are the steps we have to take? What's the work we have to do? What are the, th what are the challenges we're going to have to overcome? So it's that balance of always believing, but recognizing, but not hoping. It, it's, right. it's not just hope. There's action that has to come to get us there. Optimism without action, without without a plan, is a plan to fail, right? It, it just yeah. you're not. That's if you like that realism, then you just have, you know, a hope, but that hope might not go anywhere. And, and I see, you know, when you talk about optimism and being that cheerleader, I mean, back, you know, rewind a few months back, and I looked at what we were experiencing with COVID and what you've done with your business partner, how you came up with this idea of going into workplaces and sanitizing them so that we don't get sick. You know, I don't know how the idea came to you, but it did. And at, at one point, you know, if I look back, you, yeah, maybe you were that cheerleader on the side saying, we're going to get through this, we're going to get through this. But then you rolled your sleeves up and you came in and you were, you know, coming up with a business plan and you were going into offices now. And when things were still very uncertain, still are, but I mean, it felt a lot more uncertain then than it does now. And you were coming up with a way, a plan to help people feel safer, better. So, you know, that, that's, I think that's one example of optimism working and being realistic and being achievable. Can you tell me about your, your project, Go Fog It? How did that come up? Where did the idea come from and why is it so successful? For sure. Um, so D Diana and there's two Melissa's. So Diana and Melissa um, initially found, um, Diana came up with the idea originally. Um, Diana is 100% a starter and she is the person who comes up with ideas and, and goes. She's that true entrepreneur brain that can see something and can go fast. Um, Melissa uh, came on board and she, when she came in, she came in with a brand and that really real strong ability to make it, to make it connect and to make people get it. Um, when they approached me to come on board for sales and operations, it was, it, it was a big, it was a big jump for me. I left a, a corporate career that I've had for a long period for 20 years almost and um, said, okay, let's go. And I saw the vision. I was excited by it. And the idea of building something has always been what I've been passionate about. I love um, taking an idea and turning it into reality. And so we listened like, and, and that's something with my consulting that I teach is we need to listen. We need to listen for what the customers need. We need to be willing to pivot based on what we're hearing and the feedback that we got. And so I think one of the reasons we've been so successful is because we weren't caught with just one strategy. As we heard customers needing different things, we, set, we came up with ways to offer those different things. We started with being service. That's still a huge piece of our business. But then we also saw some people needing the opportunity to do it themselves. So we created that. We saw people needing to be able to train their staff. So
so that they have the information that they need to achieve the protocols. So we created that and it was, it's been an evolution. Every day is a new day. Um, we're all willing to learn and it's, and we've, I, we put our heads down and we've, we've come up with a strategy to help people get back to work. I think all of us had a motivation. We're all very, business motivated in the sense that we wanted people to be able to operate. We want people to be able to be open. Um, we all have sort of that in our backgrounds with my consulting company, Melissa's marketing company, and Diana's real estate. They all help business operate. And so you put them together and you create a pretty cool package um, where we are going to make sure businesses can keep their doors open and have customers coming in and feel confident in that. And what's this business model? Is it something completely new and unique to what you're doing or to our, you know, to we're, we're out of London, Ontario, both Melissa and I, by the way, dear listener. But so, you know, I'm excited to share a, a local story here. Is it something that was completely fabricated by the three of you, by Melissa and, and Diane, or, or is it something that was replicated from another model? Um, Educate me here. Not, not really. Like they, there definitely wasn't, um, there wasn't really a, a, a roadmap for us to follow. And there were, there were pieces, like we took some, we took best practices and we worked with top health and safety people and we pulled pieces together. But this was, um, this was the brainchild of Diana. Awesome. And then it's just kind of grown from there. And it's, uh, it's been a fun ride. That's for sure. And, you know, I, I love the story too, because um, I, I've got a, 18 year old daughter was just starting university and we talk often so we always do with my three children uh, i got two boys and a girl and we talk about what's next you know what, what part of the world do you want to own and you know rather than the world owning you so you know how do you what do you want from from life right as so we talk about what's next and when i look to leaders in the community i like to see that there are women leaders making a difference you know um it's okay to be traditional. It's okay to support. So we want people to be well-rounded. And if they, they make that choice, you're a mother, um, you've got two children, you're a business uh, a partner, you're a consultant, you're many things to many people. You bring that together under one person. Um, but I think it's important and we need to empower each other. And I think more men everywhere, have to be more intentional about empowering women, right? So we talked today, you know, we, we saw the Me Too movement a few years ago and we, you know, I, I haven't heard much leftover conversations and I hope that it doesn't become an event. And, you know, now we're seeing the amplification of the Black Lives Movement. And again, you know, we probably reached a point where silenced voices, and you come from a biracial family, you, you have a, a son who I believe is uh, uh, black. And so, you know, this is really close to home, but we don't want those voices to be amplified once or for a short period of time, probably since the days of Martin Luther King before our time, possibly. We didn't see here these voices amplified so loudly and we need to continue doing that. And I say that men have to really take that role because most leadership positions tend to be dominated by white men, white hair, right? Uh, I'm not one of them. Um, so we need to make sure that the circle of safety is more inclusive and that the table where we sit is more representative of the communities where we live. And so to come back to the idea that this is a local story, but it's not only local, it's, 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 a, it's a global discussion that we need to have about how we can empower and enable women to get more. And you do that 
you do that with L-E-A-D. So can you tell me what LEAD is? For sure. Um, yeah, and I will say we are very proud at GoFogit to be 100% uh, female-owned. Uh, very proud of that fact. And um, yeah, so with All Women Lead, my business partner for the conference, Jen Slay, and I started it last, um, last fall. And it was a really... Jen refers to herself as the happiness guru and my tag on everything is the happiness guru. We need to get her on the show. <laughs> yes, I will definitely make sure we connect you. And um, so we, Jen came to me and said, you know, we both talk on happiness. We both talk on like women finding happiness. Like we should do something together. And we were in the same book together. So we knew each other. And I said, sure. We had no idea what this was going to become. And we all know when we're in business and something happens really naturally and really organically and almost easily that there's something there. And that's what happened with the conference. Um, so LEAD stands for Leverage, Empower, Achieve, and Do. And we wanted to have the conversation and put women together in a room to discuss the fact and give them an opportunity to, to, to step into their leadership we really saw with the Me Too movement, truly, that there was an opportunity for women to rise and that people were looking for a different level of sensitivity and a different level of emotional intelligence and just something different. And that these are skills that a lot of women naturally have and, and women are also good or bad, and, and we say that all the time, it's not that there's good leadership skills and bad leadership skills, but just good or bad, women are allowed to embrace their emotions in the workplace more than men are. And how can we use that at this point in time with everything that's going on with women and with everything that's going on with race to help women rise and to help have the conversation and now with COVID, we're seeing it again. Women are being forced back to home more than men are. We right. haven't made that much of a difference because if we had, why aren't more men staying home with the kids? Why is it assumed that the women will stay home? And, and, and again, there's no judgment. If you are a woman who wants to stay home, power to you. Amazing. But if you're somebody like me who stands up in front of a room and says, I have sacrificed time with my kids through my entire career because that is what is important to me. I want the career. I shouldn't be judged for that either. And so it's that ability to have that conversation and put women in a room together to do it. And it has grown on its own and it's absolutely incredible. And the women who've come together, we very intentionally made sure even in, in these panels that it is not a white conversation because that is not the conversation it needs to be. It needs to be for women of color. It needs to be for women of different sexualities. It needs to be for women of different identifications. It needs to be for everybody. And um, it's, it, and we keep having that conversation and, and we keep shifting the conversation and the dialogue and people are growing with us. And it's, um, it's been a really great experience and we're excited and um, we are very blessed our full day conference was the day before the world shut down. So we had, I think, oh. probably the last live event <laughs> before COVID. It was on the Wednesday. Wow. We had 150 people together. <laughs> yep. Amazing. Yeah. And um, we've continued virtually and we're about and to I was going to say, so very, this has yeah. continued. So again, it's not an event. It's a process because you've got to roll up your sleeves and continue doing this. Doing it once is yep. once too little, right? 
hundred percent. Yeah. And you know what? The, the, the online side of things has allowed us to take things and do things a little bit differently. In some ways, it's actually been better. We've been able to connect because we use things like Zoom where we just randomly put people into groups. People have met people they probably would have never met right. in person because they would have stuck to their little their little group. And um, it's yeah, it's it's still evolved and still growing. And we're excited about our fall series. We have a really um, strong lineup for our fall series on emotional intelligence and self-awareness and a diversity panel. And um, we're, yeah, we're excited with what we're doing right now too. So Melissa, coming from a man who's all about emotional intelligence and, and diversity, how do you have these conversations with men since they're not part of lead? Not putting you on they, a spot by the way. So for sure. No, you know what? So men are welcome. We have okay. been, we have said from day one, men are welcome. And I in, encourage the men to come. Um, then I'm looking for my invitation. <laughs> you are you're more than welcome to come because no one's made the, no one's done it yet. We keep saying, Oh, I get to be another first. Yes. yes 100%. Because we need allies, right? Like that. We need men to come. We need men who, who share in this thinking to join us to help be the allies at the table a hundred percent um and and that's we would love it <laughs> um well, so, and so, so would I. yeah we definitely um we definitely would love it and and again i think the online side of things could be a little bit more of a welcoming environment as opposed to being the sure. one man in a room with 150 sure. women um, and, and that's but, never scared me away <laughs> Yeah, it's, I think it's a good thing. Uh, I think the women would love it. So yeah, I definitely, we want men at the table and we, we all need to be having this conversation. And again, as we move more into the diversity side of things as well, that's a conversation that is not a, a gender-based conversation. Right. It's affecting all of us. So, And, and we're all in sure. it together and we're stronger together. You know, I say, you know, we don't have to be colorblind. We have to be colorbold. We don't have to fear. We don't have to think in spite of our differences. We have to let our differences make us stronger and, and get together because we are different and be creative and innovate. And you know, people often ask me, so what is this unfiltered all about? What's this podcast all about? Is this about leaders in the workplace? I said, it can be. It can definitely be about people being stronger leaders in the workplace, but it doesn't start there. If you're not a strong leader, resilient, change catalyst where you live, right? If you're not mm -hmm. a strong leader in your community, at your home, you're not going to make much impact at work. And so, you know, you, you touched on something earlier. You talked about women being more emotionally intelligent. And this isn't something we throw up. We know, you know, uh, you know we, we've, those of us who have been trained in emotional intelligence know that women are more emotionally intelligent. That's awesome. And, you know, I've been impacted by the mothers and daughters and sisters and, and the wives of, of my life, and, and, and I value that so much. It's allowed me to get in touch with, with a very essential part of who I am. And so I want to see men embrace this part of them that allows them to become allies to the non-male gender. I want them to become more comfortable in embracing the vulnerability in taking off their armor and as men saying, it's okay to fail, as we said earlier, it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to not have all the answers. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay, I'm enough. And not enough men say that. And so not only do we see men in destructive positions where now they are abusing their power, but we see men who are in vulnerable positions who cannot name their emotion and cannot help themselves. And therefore they're not helping us enough because they're not showing up wholeheartedly. 
So from that perspective, I want to see men take on this role that we've excluded them from or they've excluded themselves from. And on the other hand, I, want, I would like to be able to take women and have the conversations where, not based on gender, we are more inclusive. You know, diversity is a fact, but inclusion is a choice, and we have to choose to become more inclusive. So at the table where I sit, the room where I'm invited to, or the virtual space where I, I, I get, feel I belong, these are the spaces we need to encourage because it can no longer be a single-sided story. It needs to be one that we all share and live, and you tell that story. and You tell it with impact. I want to ask you, besides the adversity that you've had as a child in your adult life, is there one single point of your life where you felt that this was a turning point for you? This allowed you to, to build on who you've become. Um, definitely. Um, and I want to say one thing to what you just said, and then I'm going to come back to that question. So I think, because I also think when we're talking about women being more emotionally intelligent, I think, um, number one, I think as a whole, when we look at sort of that corporate leadership side of things, I think we need women who are in those tight, those top positions sure. to be allowed to be women, because I think a lot of the time we as women in strong leadership roles masculate ourselves yeah. yeah. in order to fit into those roles. And I don't think that's okay. Um, and on the flip side, I am very anti the whole girl boss, um, any of that. I call it crap because I can't even deal with it. I'm like, no, no, I'm just a boss. It's got, we do not need to put a gender before the word because right. we never say boy boss. We never say any of that stuff. Um, so it's, it's just, these are leadership skills and we all have them. Right. <laughs> these are the skills. These are the competencies and there's no gender connected to them. These are the things that make great leaders and emotions happen to be one of those things. Right. Um, so I think, oh, it's so interesting. There's so many things um, in the last few years that have really impacted me. And it's, and it's, I feel like my life has come full circle um, when I, and it's interesting at, that, that this has all come about. But in the last few years, I've left a corporate career. I've started a company. I've I've gone to a startup. I've like, I've done all of these things at the same time, going through a divorce, having a child with, with suicide challenges and having um, another child who was significantly hurt. Like there, there, there's been a lot. And what's interesting to me is how much my personal life has actually impacted my ability to change my career focus. And, and I think the, it took a lot of courage and bravery to make the jump and to say, no, this is the impact I'm going to have and I can't have it anymore here. So now I'm going to jump and I'm going to do it here. And there was a lot of risk associated with that, but I wanted my kids to see that. I wanted my kids to see that risk equals success. I wanted my kids to see that don't feel stuck, don't feel trapped. Um, and I wanted them to see that, you know what, life isn't going to be perfect and it's not going to go exactly as planned and and that's okay and I've made a lot of choices in the last few years that have very much been 
because I want my kids to make those types of choices in their life. And our kids are about the same age. So I think we, <laughs> you start to shift when you're watching them grow up. And my daughter's 18, my son's 20. And, and yeah. those are the, yeah, <laughs> and those are the things I'm like, I need you guys to see this. And I don't want them looking at me and thinking, oh, she settled. So that's what you do. And, and I've made a lot more choices knowing that they're watching and being conscious of the fact that I don't want them to watch and repeat. Well, you're, you're role modeling, not role-playing behavior. You know, you, it's easy for you to put on your corporate or your consultant hat and to go in there and, and teach people about failing and telling them that it's okay. But if you're not saying that to your own flesh and blood and to your children, then there's something inherently wrong in that. So I, I, yeah. sal I salute you and congratulate you Good on you for being able to do that. It takes a lot of courage as a parent to say that we don't always have the answers. But again, imagine that power, even in a workplace, as for a leader to say, I don't have the answers, but you might. And when you let people weigh in, they'll, they'll buy in and you'll get people on board. And I think people these days are looking to leaders who don't have all the answers. We don't have a crystal ball. We, we're not going back to the old normal. We're not building a new normal because that's just a, a faulty paradigm of what yeah. didn't work, right? We're, we're braving it going forward, coming up with business ideas like go fuck it and, and come being resilient and knowing that we have a responsibility to, to mother earth, to nature, because we haven't always done what we needed to, but then to each other. I don't think it was a coincidence that we had the Black Lives Movement scream so loudly in the midst of a pandemic. We all came out of our homes 10,000 strong and went down here locally and in many cities across the world to say that this is not okay. And we need to continue doing that as, as a global community and a family. We need to find the humility in our humanity and to work together and recognize that, again, it's, it's our differences that make us stronger. You know, Melissa, I, I get inspired speaking with someone like you because it sounds like we've had similarities. You inspire me in terms of what you've done and how you've done, have you dealt with it? And that you, I know this is something you do daily, right? This has become part of who you are because you don't build that resilience for a one-off. You've built it into who you are and your adversity and your, your, what life has rolled out at you, you've rolled back and said, I own it. It doesn't own me, right? So 100%. congratulations to you. This is Thanks. part of the podcast, Melissa, where I, you know, I, I ask the listener, I ask the, sorry, I ask my guest uh, to come up with one unfiltered thought of the week. So I say to you, if you could give the listener any piece of advice to make them become a better leader at home and in their community, in the workplace, or a better individual, a better partner, a better colleague, a better, better human being, what would that unfiltered piece of advice look like? It's funny that you say human being, because I always say that. I say, just be a good human. <laughs> just be a good human. Um, I really believe people need to recognize how much control they have over everything in their lives and take ownership for it. And if something is frustrating you or something is upsetting you or something is bothering you, you can make a change in that thing. Um, if you're frustrated at work, you don't have to go there every day. Go somewhere else. If you're, if you're front, like we, we seem to have gotten into this world of routine where we settle. And I challenge people to not settle 
and to strive for what you want and strive for what will make you happy and recognize it might not happen tomorrow, but it can happen. So set the path and, and start to create that road that will get you to that level of fulfillment and happiness. That change, it's within our ability to, to write a new story, to develop a new chapter, and to become the protagonist in our life. If we're not acting, we're going to get acted upon. So thank you for being my guest today. Thank you for sharing your insight, your passion, and your complete unfiltered self. Thank you for being an incredible human being. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Unfiltered, the show about authentic leadership and personal growth. Like what you heard? Click subscribe, share it, and tell a friend about it. And don't forget to leave a rating.